The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Well, hello, everybody. Greetings today from Canada. In fact, Ty and I are so far east in Canada, we're in another time zone from the eastern time zone. We're in Atlantic time zone. I'm in Fredericton, New Brunswick to give my mediumship serving spirit level one class here this weekend in a beautiful setting. I love that I can do this show from wherever we are, wherever our travels take us. My guest today is coming to us from Lagstaff, Arizona. So let's hear it for technology. I'm going to bring in Jessica later, but I wanted to start off this show by talking to you about what I've experienced as a result of my mother's passing. She passed one week ago yesterday. So many of you know that because in this show I've been talking about two weeks ago, I did the show from the hospice where we had just put my mother. And then uh, last week, I believe she had just passed when I did this show. And it's amazing timing because the topic of this show has been for well over a month, writing the perfect death story. And when I came up with this topic, I didn't even know that my mom was going to be close to death a month later. Jessica Hansen, our guest, is an expert in this topic, and I had asked her to come on. And now I just wanted to share with you a few insights I gained from my mother's passing that will segue beautifully into the conversation with Jessica. But as I teach in my classes, not just the mediumship classes, but my spiritual classes, all of us here in human form are acting out a story it's, we're playing a role. We're method actors that get so involved in our roles that we sometimes forget who we really are as souls. And my task, my mission is to help everybody to know that we do have that other aspect of us, the eternal aspect of us, the soul that never dies. So I'm being very careful not to say my mother died because my mother's body died, but my mother's soul lives on and I have connected with her already. I don't know how much time I'll take to tell you about that, but that has given me peace beyond any understanding of most humans who are so caught up in the story, they don't understand that. As a medium, I knew that would change things for me when my mom passed. I knew that I would be able to connect with her. I didn't know how soon, but I even had other people saying, just because you're a medium, it doesn't mean you don't grieve. And they're right about that. But 
everybody's grief timelines are different. I had about a day and a half of walking through a fog of, I had, I don't know, I didn't time it, but I had my periods of sobbing with the grief. And, and I don't, I know that's necessary, but since my mom passed, the fog has lifted and I'm not happy, but I'm not sad. And I'm certainly not devastated. I'm peaceful. I'm adjusting to the new normal. I, I just found her whole death story. It was beautiful with the perfection with which it unfolded. Every year on our birthday, I, tr I go home from wherever Ty and I are traveling around the country, and it's usually pretty far away. And this time, I'm several thousand miles away, and I already had my tickets to go home for our birthday. I got an emergency call from my sister saying, I think you need to come home early. And I was able to change my flight and flew in one day early. And that very night that I flew in, we put her in hospice and actually had the most awesome birthday party because my mom and I share the same birthday in hospice. And it, it was a celebration. She made it to 91 years old. And from that moment on, we wrote the most beautiful death story for my mom. I was looking forward to doing this show because we say the word death and it just, it conjures up fear and let's not talk about that attitudes in people. And I want you all today to examine your beliefs and thoughts around death because it doesn't have to lead to devastation. When Jessica comes in, her story is one of the most tragic I've ever heard, and yet she has turned it around into something that's helping so many people. But what was great about my mom's story is that we knew she was going to pass, and we had time to talk about everything. And I shared as I've shared with my mom for the past 10 years what she could expect on the other side, the 10 years since I've known there is a greater reality and been working as a medium. But it's so funny because she just never could wrap her head around it, didn't really believe. And I said, well, mom, you're about to find out. And our, my two siblings and I, my brother and sister, were able to be with her there in the hospice. And everybody got to say everything they wanted to say. But then the time for my return flight back to Ty came, and he was well over a thousand miles away with our puppies and our bus, couldn't just hop on a plane to come down to be with us. We really talked about, should he drive the thousand miles back? How long is it going to take? And I thought, you know, I could be here. She could be here. She could last for a week or weeks. What do I do? And as I teach, anytime we don't know what to do, Pray, ask your guides, connect with higher consciousness. And that's what I did. And, you know, when we have big life decisions to make, our guides don't always give us the answers. But we have a way of judging in our own body and with the guidance we get what decision to make. And I, I sat and I thought about all of the people I have helped in my one-on-one -on -one readings who say I wasn't with my loved one when they passed. And so many people feel guilt over that. And I put myself in that position. What if I leave and I'm not here? Will I feel guilty about not being with mom when she passes? And I stayed long enough that she was, she was um, in a pretty much a coma state, unconscious for a couple days. And I knew then it would be okay to go back to Ty because we had said everything we wanted to say. And I knew I could talk to her soul. My sister and my brother very openly and honestly said they would have no bad feelings if I left. They actually encouraged me to go back to my family. And they knew that 
she would have somebody with her at all times. I have some dear friends who sat with mom along with my family. And I have to tell you that, that leaving her was one of the toughest things I've ever done. Not because I was leaving before she passed, but just because I knew it would be our last moments together. And even though she had been unconscious for two days, she actually spoke words to me. I said, Mom, I'm, I'm going back to Thai now. And I, she was coherent just enough to say, is that Susie? And I said, yes, I love you, Mom. And her final words to me were, I love you. And it was, I will tell you, I will admit it, gut-wrenching to leave at that time. And I remember walking through the airport trying not to sob and, and not really questioning my decision. I still felt peaceful with it. But what happened afterwards, everything was just perfect because she lasted five more days. And my family tells me that she, she changed so much. Her body changed so much after that. She didn't look at all like herself. And I, I knew in my heart that I was not supposed to see her that way. That was, you know, I was just too sensitive. I didn't want those last visions of my mom. I hope that all of you can, can just take what I'm saying today. I know it's my personal story, but I hope you can see that there are no shoulds in your story. If you weren't there, there's probably a reason for that. If you were there, how can you, you look at that if you're still carrying guilt about not having done enough? How can we change that around? Because this has been the greatest time for me to study my thoughts. The second I would start to feel sad or overwhelmed, I would just say, now what's causing that thought in me? Is it the thought, I'll never see my mother again? Well, I know that's not true. I will see her again. Or, well, I have to go through grief. Well, is that true? No, because I know what I know. Or, I don't have a mother anymore. And I certainly know that's not true. So when we stop and study our thoughts, it changes everything. I will tell you that if you go back and listen to the radio show that I did on March 31st, you'll hear about the connection I had with my friend Brenda Baker after she passed. I'm going to correct that. That was May 31st. Well, the next day after my mom passed, this last Wednesday, Brenda showed up in my meditation, and it was her clearest day. And she said, do you want me to take you to your mother? And what ensued over the next five days of meditation were visits with my mom, facilitated by Brenda. My mom, because she didn't quite understand what was awaiting her, felt she was in a bit of a dream state, thought she was still dreaming, just like she did in hospice when she was going in and out, and finally got to the point where she was able to say my name and connect with me. This is after she passed. I wouldn't be sharing this if Brenda had not given me evidence of things going on in our friends' lives that I could not possibly have known, multiple pieces of evidence during each meditation that absolutely floored us. There was no doubt. This was Brenda talking to me. I could hear my mom's voice, and this is why I trust. Of course, I still have a mom. We all have our loved ones who have passed, and this work of being a medium and connecting across the veil and helping all of you to know that death is not the end, well, I couldn't imagine a greater task. So we were able to have the perfect death story with my mom. It was really funny because when we knew she had to go into hospice, the whole family knew where we wanted to put her. There's a hospice house in the villages, Florida, where we live, and it is so peaceful. And the people who work there are absolute angels. 
and we did get a bed exactly where we wanted. My dad passed there in room one 10 years earlier. 10 years later, my mom was in bed 10. So just so many little things like that. But I will tell you that a few days later, my biggest challenge is that I just want to pick up the phone and call her. And that's just habit because we talked every day for the past years. And the other day I was saying to Ty, oh, I just wanted to call mom. God, I've got to get over that. And five minutes later, oh my God, I want to call my mom. And Ty, without missing a beat, said, so call her. <laughs> I guess that's what it's like when you live with a medium. You know, sometimes we need reminding too. So I just sit and I have a little conversation with mom and I share the same things that I used to share when I would call her on the phone. So I could go on and on like this, but I want to bring in Jessica Hansen. Her story is very different from mine because she didn't have time to plan for the passing that she had to deal with. And it was truly tragic. I, I know that death is not tragic for those who pass, but it is many times tragic for those left here in the physical form, and especially those who don't understand what the greater reality is and what death really is, a transition. So we're going to bring Jessica in to share her story. I met her through our mutual friend, Janine Quigley, through the organization Helping Parents Heal. And the moment I met Jessica and heard her story, I think within one minute of meeting her, I said, can you come on my radio show? Jessica is a nurse, a mom, and a death educator. Her goal is to educate regular people, not just medical people, on how to handle death immediately after a loved one has passed, giving them a beautiful death story that sets a solid foundation for healing. So welcome, Jessica. Well, hello. I'm so, I'm happy so to be glad here. you took time off. Jessica, you were just in the operating room just a short time ago, isn't that right? About 15 minutes ago, yes. Yeah, I think you told me you often, um, you're a charge nurse and you're in the operating room often helping with uh, heart transplants, is that right? Or open heart surgery? Yeah, I've, I've transitioned recently to doing open heart surgery and it's something that I love and it's a passion and I'm obsessed with it, but um, it's busy. It's busy and awesome and I learn a lot every single day. I love my job. Awesome. But there's another whole side to your work. You're a woman on a mission. I understand that. So why don't we start with the story that led to this mission, the mission of helping provide a healing foundation after a death? And I, I want to warn everybody, this is, this is a little difficult to hear her story, but I want you to feel the strength in Jessica as she tells it. On March 31st of 2016, I uh, I was was sleeping upstairs after I had just gotten done with a post tonsillar bleed, which is what comes from removing your tonsils after when you're an adult. Sometimes you have complications. Mm-hmm. So I was upstairs sleeping at about 9:30 in the morning, and I woke up to my former husband screaming at the top of his lungs that a horrible accident had happened. Um, I proceeded to run downstairs, and when I got to the top of the steps, my 22-month-old son had been run over. His face was completely gone, and I knew that that he, he was gone. So 
we, as well, I ran downstairs and scooped up my baby Mason, and I proceeded to help him die. Um, <laughs> the 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 steps the steps that happened in in his transition in him actively dying was they were traumatic and intense and raw and um very just it's very human but also kind of animalistic like the stuff that happens in in these these traumatic deaths is some, something that i have never experienced and i've been a trauma nurse as as a charge nurse in the operating room, I've experienced a lot of trauma and a lot of death. And being on the other side of it helped me realize that there is so much that we can learn. Um, so I took I took my my son to the emergency room, and it was interesting being a well educated, competent healthcare professional. Uh, and knowing that no one could survive an injury like Mason's, um, mm-hmm. not even the strongest man in the world. And here I was looking at my my infant, or my toddler rather, um, who had suffered this injury, and I remember thinking, Jessica, there's no way he's going to survive. Um, mm-hmm. And my head was telling me this, but my heart was just begging for that not to be true. So I, I thought, do you want to save him or don't you start CPR? And so mm-hmm. cognitively, my head was telling me there's just no way. But my heart saying, you got to try. You got to try to save him because this is what you're going to need. So the whole way to the hospital, I did CPR. Um, I I tried everything I could to save him. And when I got to the hospital, I, I handed over the care of him pretty immediately to to the staff. And within about five minutes, I decided to come back in and to create a death story that I could heal from. Um, that's really where this all came from. It, you know, you know having, having the trauma nurse experience and then having my son die traumatically gave me this perspective. Uh, and it's a perspective that I don't think many people have. And so mm-hmm. I want to share it with people because I um, had this innate thing telling me that I needed to do certain things in his dying that would help me heal. And I don't think a lot of people have that. So now my mission is to educate healthcare professionals, specifically um, I see people who are around death a lot. I, I like to educate those people, but then again, just educating people in our community. Like, how, what would you want your death story to look like? And just to have the conversation um, so we can start making better death stories. And it's So what happened differently in that ER that helped you to heal that might not have happened Everything. <laughs> um, I think so. I set Mason on the gurney and walked away for a very brief moment, and then I came back into the uh, trauma bay. And instead of standing back and watching my son die, I decided that I wanted to touch him. 
I wanted to be a part of this death story because if I don't, if I don't create this death story, then, then I'm not going to heal. So I got onto the gurney and I did CPR on him, which is not something that people who wouldn't, who aren't in medicine would probably to do, but I wanted to do that. And, and I've never seen something like that. I've never seen a family member touch their loved ones as they're dying. I've never so seen not not mom. just CPR, but it touched them in any way. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody hold a hand or kiss a foot or that kind of stuff. So it was just um, this is how this is what I'm educating people on doing. So I was I was there. I touched him. I held him. I was asked to move because as healthcare professionals, we think that we need to get in there and we need to save a life. Um, but quite frankly, you can't save everyone, and and you can't change the outcome, but you can change the experience. So I'm trying to educate people on how to change the experience when we can't change the outcome because they're going to go. There, some people are going to die. So so there's, I, I I was there. I really experienced the death. I I got to experience emotion human emotion from the people that were trying to save him. There was a, it was, it was like an out of body experience. Uh, granted, I was elevated because I was on my knees on the gurney above everyone else, but it was more than that. It was like every millisecond was scrutinized. Every sigh, every slow blink, um, every person that trauma pay I got to experience them. There was a EMT on his knees, weeping, holding Mason's head, holding C-spine. There was a nursing student in the corner sobbing because she was around a child that was dying. There was a lab tech that was so nervous he couldn't, she couldn't get her needle anywhere near Mason's vein. These things that I experienced were only experienced because I was involved. I was there. I, I was in the middle of this death story, and I needed that. I needed to see Now, Jessica, some people might say, but I couldn't handle that kind of emotion. Is that going to be person-dependent, that some people, that, that kind of emotion might overwhelm them? Why was that healing for you? Because it validated that my son's life mattered and yeah. that, it was okay to be sad. It was okay to be scared. It was okay to have these emotions. You're right. Some people couldn't. Some people couldn't be in there. But that's our job as healthcare professionals is we need to assess what do, what do they need? What um, I think something I say often is, is, is this traumatic? Totally. Does it suck? Yes, it sucks that people people do die, and 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 as you were saying earlier, their bodies are gone. But what's going to suck even more is if they don't have a solid foundation for healing. It's if we don't help set this, if we don't help create a death story that is beautiful and something that they can heal from, that's where tomorrow is going to suck, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So. It's it's a fine line on inviting and empowering people to create their own death story because not everyone's going to want my death story. 
but we can give them what they need. Now, were you at the hospital where you work? And I guess my really what I'm asking is, did the ER staff know you? Yeah, that was that was an interesting uh, interesting discovery. So I was, like I said, post surgery, post bleeding. Um, I literally ran into the emergency department in my skimpy pajamas, barefoot, with my hair down and my glasses on. Uh, so. No one really recognized me. I was covered in Mason's blood, and they didn't know who I was until I said to them, um, I said, can I do CPR? And the doctor looked at me, and she said, experience, have you ever done this before? And I said, Dr. Khan, you trained me. I oh, my. CPR. Yes, I have experience. And she made eye contact with me and so that was the turning point within five minutes of me being there that everyone was like, oh, my goodness, this is Jessica Hansen. We watched her make this baby, and, mm-hmm. and now we're watching her help this baby die. So it was, it was different being that everyone knew me. They knew Nathan. You know, they, they've seen pictures of him. They've watched him grow. Um, but that's kind of where I got the end where they let me do things that we wouldn't, quote, unquote, let people do in the past. So I can't see regular ERs, you know, rooms letting people do CPR, and I can't imagine the situation would come up very often. But, but I'm, And I'm sure that medical people need to have that space cleared if there's an emergency going on. But you're trying to get medical people to say, after it's clear the person is not going to survive, let them come in the room. Is that right? Yeah, and you know, even before, so even <clears throat> there's a there's a point in time when we know that they are dead, and and this this moment comes significantly sooner than you might actually think, because it's like we all look at each other and we're like, okay, well, it seems as if this patient is dying. It's not looking like there's anything that we can do. Um, it's time to get the family involved in here and help orchestrate this death and so that's essentially what what i call this is the orchestration of death and um now i'm going to have to interrupt here a second because pretty soon we're going to have to go to a break and i hope this is interesting to people a whole new way of looking at death and that you'll come back we're going to talk a little bit about if if jessica has had any signs from mason and and her thoughts on the greater reality. Lots more to come after the break, so please come back and join us as we talk about orchestrating a beautiful death story. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. 
If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Healing Ourselves, Our Communities, and the Planet is the theme for this year's World Day of Prayer, September 13th at Unity World Headquarters at Unity Village. Join us live or participate virtually as we broadcast to Unity and New Thought communities around the world. The World Day of Prayer is a unique and inspirational event like no other. Enjoy music, prayer, and meditation as we commit to healing ourselves, our communities, and our world. Go to worlddayofprayer.org for more information. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Welcome back. Now, we're talking about some pretty intense stuff today with nurse and mom, Jessica Hansen, who helps people to create a more positive death story, to orchestrate it. We're going to keep going with this little bit of intensity here, but we are definitely going to talk about the signs she received from Mason, her 22-month-old son who crossed to the other side, and signs she receives from him through her kids. But for now, Jessica, why don't you continue telling us how to educate people on orchestrating death and and how your story played out that morning so 
the reason I call it orchestration of death is, is because to orchestrate something, you have to manipulate the elements of a situation to get a desired effect. And so I'm talking about manipulating the death experience to get a desired effect, which is to create a beautiful death story. So when I educate healthcare professionals on this, um, there's, there's a, essentially an outline of what I want them to do. I want them to acknowledge who they are right now as a person that does death. I want them to realize who they are and, and not to judge themselves, but just to say, okay, maybe I'm not doing death as good as I could. And then I want them to create their own death story. Like, and I, this, is, this is almost morbid, but I ask people to envision that somebody that they love is dying. And, and then I have them create a death story that they would want. And I say, well, would you want to touch your loved one? Would you want to be in the room? You create your death story. You create your gold standard death story and then bring it to work. We spend nine months planning for a pregnancy, you know, a birth story. Uh, and then we spend about five and a half seconds planning for a death story. So I kind of want to, I want to do this. I want to spend nine months planning for birth, nine months planning for death, you know, if we could make it even. So step one, acknowledge. Step two, prepare. And then once we get into the death, the nitty-gritty, the, the actual death of a loved one, I want them to invite families into the death experience. And, and sometimes that's as simple as a verbal invitation, or sometimes that needs to be more of a holding hands and walking in. Could and I interrupt in a second, Jessica? Because I'm, I'm picturing um, an emergency room or wherever this would happen from the viewpoint of a medium. And knowing that, again, I want to remind people, we keep using this word, you know, the death of your loved one, if the death of their body. I know you know this, but I just want to stress it for those who are listening. This is why I have the show Messages of Hope, because it's, it's, it's a transition. That, that loved one is going to be welcomed so joyously on the other side. But, you know... They hang around sometimes. They're watching. So I'm just listening to what you're saying, Jessica, from, from the medium's viewpoint, saying, imagine the spirit saying, oh, this is wonderful. There they are touching me, and my loved one's holding my body, but I'm not there. Look, I'm up here. I'm watching too, but I love that you're here. See, that's this, mm, this is beautiful. Keep and going. I think this, is more, this is more for us. This is more for the survivors. and. Mm -hmm what we're going to need. And, and like you said, I mean, they're, I mean, they're free and yeah. they're at peace and they're, they're still here, but this is for us because we, I mean, like you said earlier, we do grieve and, okay. and even I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that you, you did cry after your mom, you know, because that's, you have such a connection. So I, yeah, this is for us. So I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> you were talking about um, accept, you know, planning as the as a medical person and picturing your own passing or your own loved one's passing. So you were going through actual steps that you tell them to do. And the next step would be to saturate their senses. And I think this is really important. This is this is, in my opinion, the most important thing that we can give to them. Um, 
when I talk about saturating our senses, obviously sight, hearing, um, all, all five of them. But most importantly, it's touch. So I want, even in not in an emergency setting, even if we're in hospice, I want the family to be in there holding grandma's hand if they so desire as she's passing. So it's just really, it's not like I'm coming up with these. It's not like I'm innovative and came up with all these huge ideas. I just think what it is is it's, I, I have the guts to say it, and I have the guts to say it to people who are going to argue with me and say, no, I don't think that's appropriate to bring the family in the room. And I say, well, you're wrong. <laughs> so it's this conversation and going back and forth. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm right. You know, I've, I've, I've done this, and I, I can tell you it helps. It really, really helps. So it's this new mission. I'm pretty passionate about it. I'm, I'm trying to start a business. It turns out it's a little bit harder than you would, than I thought. <laughs> Just but to educate I'm, the medical personnel, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Go speaking about it around the country. I know that you're, how are you received when you give these, these yeah. talks? Very, very well. I, I, like I said, I have had some people that want to, argue with me for the sake of uh, the possibility of saving a life. And, and I am by no means saying that we should, should let this get in the way of, of saving someone. But like I said, there is a point when we realize that this, this person is going to pass. This person maybe is already gone. And so that's when we need to start orchestrating death and creating a, a good death story, a beautiful death story. So that's the medical so, people. How are you helping what you you call it regular people? Regular. Well, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> we need we just need reminding too, you know, and like I said with the the creating a birth story, I think it's good. I think it's good for us to think about someone that we love transitioning and what do we want there? You know, do we what kind what kind of music do we want? Who do we want in the room? Um, what's the temperature of the room going to be? The, those kind of things, it's just good to start thinking about. And if I can educate my community on creating a beautiful death story, then all of a sudden I have my professional community, all the health healthcare professionals, which yeah. I've educated, and then I have community members coming in and they're like, you know what, I've thought about this. And I do think I want to be holding grandma's hand as you guys are doing CPR. That's what I want. And so it's just really just thinking and planning and conversating about the possibility of death because it's, it's not scary. It doesn't have to be scary. It, it can be beautiful. And I think, unfortunately, for many in the medical field, I'm, I'm just assuming here it, it represents failure when somebody passes, even though in many circumstances they couldn't have saved them. But let me just um, – I just wanted to – add to what you were saying there. I, I, so many of my listeners are hospice nurses, which is amazing. So many people come up and say, I'm a hospice nurse. And it's a whole different viewpoint there because they were so helpful. They're trained to help the family as well. So the two weeks we were with mom in hospice, they were just so wonderful. And they let you do whatever you want in there as long as it doesn't yeah. interfere with what they're doing. But I knew that, that I had my ride to the airport was coming and I knew that I had to say 
so long to my mom. And the nurse came in to take care of some bodily function of my mother's. Just, I had five minutes left and I said, I looked at her a little bit distraught and I said, could that wait just a few minutes? And she looked at me kind of stunned, like, well, I'm supposed to do this now. And I said, this will be the last time I ever speak to my mother in this body. And or she just immediately said, no problem, and left the room. And But I think that everybody could learn a lot from hospice staff. They absolutely are, are angels because they know it's all about orchestrating that perfect passing. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful people. The, the hospice nurses and palliative care nurses, they these – these people are incredible. It's um, it's the like what you said. It's the healthcare professionals that look at this as a failure, and as we didn't try hard enough, or or we didn't do enough. And um, it's really we got to get to them. We got to talk to them about it. And and that's and that's my mission. Yeah, I'm, I know that you had some special things that you took care of after Mason passed in the hospital. There is some some pictures, your hand on his chest and such, right? Yeah, and that's, that's something I think for bringing that up that I do encourage people to do as well. And um, what my studies have, have showed me is that uh, these pictures that we take of our, of our loved ones after they've passed are, I mean, for me specifically, they have been an essential piece of my survival and of my validation that I had a son live and I had a son die. And it's, I love, I love the pictures. They're so valued and they're so precious. So I I think, um, I think the pictures were another thing and something else that is taboo that I did uh, post Mason's death was I brought the casket home and Hmm. I, had my children decorate it. Um, that was decorated. Kind of down. Yeah, we wow. we brought this casket home, and it was great because I went to the mortuary, and I'm I'm looking at these caskets, and they're so boring. And I was like, "There's nothing boring about my son. He was <laughs> he was cute and colorful and sparkly." And I said, "Can I take this home?" And the guy's face was I'll never forget it. He was like. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> he said, Can I, is this my casket? Can I take this casket home? And he said, yeah, I guess so. So I grabbed it and I started pulling it out outside to load into my car uh, and I took it home. And my children had never seen a casket. So they didn't have this, this society-imposed taboo that caskets bring, right? Because caskets are bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And Megan walks in. She's five at the time. She walks in and she gasped and she said, oh, "What is that pretty box?" Oh my! <laughs> and I said, "That's the box that we're going to decorate because Mason is going to go inside the box, and then um, and then we're going to bury him in that." And she's wow. like, "Oh, can I bedazzle it?" And so we bedazzled that casket. We painted a rainbow on it. Um, wow. The kids wrote note, notes to Mason on it. Um, it was beautiful, and it it gave them something tactile to do because they didn't get to experience the death like like we did. Um, so it gave them something to feel. They put his favorite toys in there. They made his bed. They 
they painted it. It was it was a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Wow. And and I'm just thinking about some people listening to this that may be really uncomfortable with that. And I always I had uh, Reverend Temple Hayes, who has a show with Unity Online. She told me once, Suzanne, if you're not making your listeners squirm, you're not doing your job. That really woke me up because I don't like to make people squirm. I'm a pleaser. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. But if you're squirming at the thought of this, look at that examine your belief system. If you've attended any of my classes, my acronym for belief system is BS. Does it get in the way (laughs) of healing? I can see how healing this was for you, Jessica. As we, we don't have a whole lot of time left, I'd love to hear about the healing that's taken place for you and your family. Has Mason made his presence known from the other side? Well, he... So immediately after he passed, he did. He, I could feel him, and um, and it was very apparent that he was there. But since then, it's been more of events that are happening, things that happen uh, on purpose, I say, because I think that he's orchestrating my life, <laughs> you know, as like a spirit, a spirit guide of sorts. Uh, and so things are happening in my life that never would have. And and a lot of times I, I have conversations with him all the time and um I thank him. You know, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, Wow, look at what my life has become. Uh I I live now like I only have six hundred and sixty days left. That was how many days Mason was alive. And the only reason that I do that is because Mason was so incredibly amazing that he showed me how beautiful life could be. And so if I can just live like I only have 660 days left every day, then I'm doing something right and I'm honoring him. So it's been, everything is different. I'm a completely different human. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a better version of me because of him. So the signs I've gone to, I've gone to mediums in the past and I've gotten very blatant <laughs> like oh yeah hey he did that on purpose and this person <laughs> is in your on purpose and just so you know he's rooting for the two of you. And you know so it's been it's been amazing. You had a really big synchronicity recently with a big change in your life, right? <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious. So I am a a single woman, uh, just, you know, living my life as a single mom. And I just started dating an amazing man um, in December of this last year. And on March 31st, which is the day of Mason's passing, uh, exactly two years after he passed, I found out that I was pregnant. It was not an accident. Like I said, I found out at 1130 at night, right before the day switched to April 1st, <laughs> to April Fool's Day, I found <laughs> out that I was expecting. Um, and again, that's beautiful. I I, I know it was Mason, That's and beautiful. I know that he was saying, Mom, pay attention. Life is good. 
and there's so much joy to be had. Yay. How about your kids? Do they see him? So they, oh my goodness. Okay. So Megan is, she was five when he, when he passed and I was, it's, it's happened a handful of times. I'll be walking past her room and she is talking to someone and I'll stand and I'll listen. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on in here. And before you know it, she's, she's talking to Mason and it's like, you know, she's like, no, don't do that. Come over here. Okay. 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 Sit down. And she's playing with them. She's totally, she is there. She is just playing with them. And I just sit outside of her room and sob because it, it, it brings joy to me. I, I just can't. I love that. I love that she has mm. that. And, and, it's fantastic. and when I ask her, I'll question her about it. And I'm like, so, hey, you know, Megan, can you? And she looks at me like I'm stupid. And she, she's like, <laughs> Megan, <laughs> like, you can't see him. You can't figure this out, mom. I'm just, and I'm like, oh, cool. All right. I'm going to go. I'll leave you alone, you two. So it's. <laughs> Beautiful. It's special that she has that. It's beautiful. Wonderful. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I think if there was anything that I would like people to do from this, I'd like them to leave this with a couple of things. One is death doesn't have to be completely scary. It doesn't have to be something that we hide and run from. Death can be beautiful. So I want them to know that that's true, that death can be something incredibly beautiful, a transition. And two, what would you like your death story to look like, your loved one's death story to look like? Create that. Talk to your husband about it. Talk to your wife. Talk to your children and say, you know what? If this were the situation, this is what I would want. What are your thoughts? Just plan for it. Have a conversation. This is this is something that we're scared to talk about as a society, and um, and we just need we just need to to be brave and have courage and walk into it with grace. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I know that my brother had to gulp a few times in the hospice room when my sister and I were talking to my mom, and she was. You know, she's like, well, what do I have to do to, you know, what do I have to do? I'm ready to leave. And we said, well, just die, mom. And and my brother would just about gag, you know. <laughs> but we, we we had been so open and we were we were laughing and just trying to keep it light. And, and it's just we have so much baggage around death. But when it's ultimately, you know, it's in your face and you can't change that, then change your thoughts and the way we look at it, right? Absolutely. My my grandmother actually had the same experience six months after Mason died. She she passed and we we all knew she was going and the whole family was you know, we were there and we were with her and we had the music and the blankets and she woke up after about three hours of being totally out. She woke up and she said, I'm really ready to die now. So mm-hmm. could it happen anytime soon (laughs) and it's just I mean and she and she's like I'm ready to go see Mason I'm I'm gonna go take care of him for you and 
It is. Oh. It's just, and I started laughing, but the whole family thought it wasn't too funny. But I thought, okay, Grandma, go take care of Mason. Go ahead and die now. It's okay. We're good. It so. is okay. Yeah. And in fact, my sister has said about my mom, she says, you know, I want to pick up the phone and call her too, but I'm picturing mom on a cruise. That's what she's doing. She's on a cruise and I just can't pick up the phone and call her because I know she's having a good time on that cruise. And my my mom and dad (laughs) enjoyed cruises so much that they cruised 365 days total. They kept a tally of it. So, you know, if we can come up with a way of, of thinking of that, the reason why we can't just reach out and pick up the phone, but knowing that there's still there just as you've come to that awareness with mason is it, it changes a lot oh gosh it's 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 really everything if i actually don't know if i would be able to survive or thrive like i have after his death if i didn't know that he was right here yeah and you're a member of the helping parents heal group in flagstaff right yes yeah that's what and as you said janine is one of my best friends and has been an essential piece of my survival as well. And she's just headed this up. She's taken on this project and yeah, we, we love, we love this organization. It's really cool. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to share a couple more things with my listeners, but um, Jessica, you're doing wonderful work with project 660. And I know that you're going to get out there and, and really help to change things in the medical field. Thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. I'll chat with you later, okay? All right. So we do have a few minutes left. I just wanted to tell you all that um, I, I, I want to get you again to focus on how our thoughts change everything and that grieving is is absolutely a necessary part of the death process for us, those of us who are, as we say, left behind. I, I I want to just get everybody thinking that it doesn't have to be uh, grieving forever. I can't tell you how many people I have heard say to me lately, but the depth of my grief, I feel like it represents how much I loved. Or if I stop grieving, people will think I didn't love them. That's huge. If you're stuck in your grief, please stop worrying about what other people think. Um, Also, it's just so important to have people hold space for you. I feel that part of the reason I felt such a peaceful state that the day after my mom passed was I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people sending me prayers and loving thoughts because I had put an announcement on Facebook and I just felt these loving arms around me. So it really makes a difference when you hold that space for someone if they're going through a tragic time. Um, in the hours after I left my mom and I was in the airport, I remember holding it and holding it in after sobbing in the shuttle. And I, I actually tipped the guy a little more because I was such a disaster in the shuttle, <laughs> but, uh, got to the airport holding it in cause I didn't want to walk around like a crazy person. And I was in the restroom and I looked in the mirror and my eyes were a wreck and this young woman walked up to me and she said, are you okay? And I said, not really. And she said, you look like you could use a hug. And you know, that was exactly what I needed in that moment. And I thought back to years earlier, before I knew about the greater reality, I was still on active duty in the Navy. And I ran into a woman in a restroom 
the police were out looking for her husband who had disappeared on the river in a boat and she was distraught. And I didn't know what to do for her in that moment. I have regretted ever since that I didn't give her a hug. And there it came back to me in that airport restroom. This woman said, you look like you could use a hug. And I said, I'll take it. And she gave me this hug and I broke down and I sobbed on her. And I pulled back and I told her, my, I just said goodbye to my mother for the last time. And she held out her arm and she showed me this tattoo. And she said, this is a tattoo I got in honor of my dad. He passed a year ago. And I want to tell you something. Your mom is going to be fine. I know there's a greater reality. And I know you're going to see your mom again. And in that moment, my tears just disappeared. And I had to smile. And I, and I looked at her and I said, I know that too. I'm a medium. <laughs> and it was just beautiful that, that that spirit orchestrated this perfect kindred spirit in my path to give me a hug when I needed it. And I gave her another hug and and uh, cried a little more. And that was, you know, I, I got I got through that. It's the, the that saying goodbye, but we know what we know that it's not goodbye forever. And I'll have to have another show to share with you. The signs, the evidence that have come through. That's what keeps me going. I hope it keeps you going too until we're ultimately reunited with our loved ones. But let me guarantee you, they are fine. Love never ends. I hope you've learned a lot in our show. So much gratitude to Jessica for coming on the air. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.